It's your man, K to the second letter, KB, if you missed that. And I am here on the block on Southside Rabbi with none other than the illustrious, industrious, my best friend, I mean the dream, Hudson, who is turning 33 on Easter, which I don't, I, which I don't this know is how the thing. I should feel about that. This thing that your birthday is on Easter means that you turn 33 on Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> right. How do you feel about that, brother? Uh... I don't know how I should feel about it, but I'm glad that the Lord, uh, you know, put to death the old me and resurrected the new man. Yes. And you might die this year. So anyways, God forbid. God forbid. Um, but uh, happy birthday, brother. God bless you, man. And we are excited to be bringing to you all today a very, very special episode. Uh -huh. We have a beautiful one for you today. Uh -huh. The gentleman that we have been graced to have on our show, he is not a person. He's a people's. He's okay? a ide he's an ideology. <laughs> he's a ide he's a movement, <laughs> not a moment. You understand what I'm saying? This brother's greatness transcends the greatness of just regular human beings. <laughs> you know, I believe the Bible. I believe it's inerrant, brother. All of it. I believe that it is infallible. Uh huh. But I struggle with Genesis, brother. <laughs> Stop. When it says that all men were created equal, when it says that. And then a David French starts talking. I say, Lord, what's going on there? This man is so great that he's, his last name has its own fry to it. Oh, oh. It has its own toast to it. Okay. It has its own uh, toffee to it. In fact, his last name alone is what you use. You refer to him when you say something you shouldn't say. Uh -huh. You say, excuse my French. Oh, wow, wow. Uh, uh, I mean, please, please help the people understand who this man is. I think is. that we're talking about a giant amongst men, ladies and gentlemen. I think we're talking about a man so sharp he needs no haircut because his mind keeps all of that in check for him. I'm talking about your favorite writer's favorite writer, your favorite yes. author's favorite author, yes. your favorite uh, attorney's favorite attorney. Listen. Yes. David French is going to be the attorney of heaven. And what I mean by that is that <laughs> the Lord is going to have him on retainer in glory. Even though there's no need to even have that happen. As you are standing before the Lord in judgment, he's judging you. He's going to be in the back on retainer because he's already went through his judge. He's already been sent all, already well good. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now he's on retainer, making sure that everything is going well with judging you. Judging the angels. Um, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about a, a, a man who has helped shape culture and even the way that me um, and KB have thought through politics within the yes. culture. We've, yes. um, I think that we've found some kind of some camaraderie from this brother from afar yes i'm talking to you all about david french david welcome french. him to the show welcome to the show god bless you dave wow <laughs> wow i don't i don't even can't even begin to know what to say after that i mean I, all i know is Every single listener is going to be disappointed because I cannot possibly live up to that Stop it. Stop it. You already have. And let me say one more thing to you, sir. Uh -huh. One more thing. Somebody in our organization voted for you to be president of the United States in the last election. Oh, listen. I, that's me. I wrote your name in. Do you know what? I was like, I'm writing someone in and I'm writing in David Frank. I was like, I know. That. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a but long I'm shot. It. It's a long shot. But, but I'm just going to write. Is possible I'm with just going to write this baby in. What is impossible with man, but anything is in, everything is possible with God. But no, no, no. I did. 
<laughs> I have a true story for you on that. Please. In my precinct in 2016, I finished second in the write-in votes. What? Of all the write-in votes in my precinct. What? But here's the bad news. Yeah, but here's the bad news. Who was the first in write-in votes in my precinct? Bozo the Clown. Oh! <laughs> Just, yeah. just leave that part out. What? Just leave that part out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was saying I came in. I was just gonna say I came in second. That's like when I was in high school. I was the MVP of my basketball team. I right. was the, the best player on our team, but we lost every single game. That was the only. That's the only thing that we we don't like to include that. Oh, uh, Dave. Before we before we get into the to the conversation, and and I hope that uh, we're we're putting respect on your name on Southside Rabbi. We call you Dave. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> brother Dave. D, that's or, great. Or, or D French. D French. Um, so. Is there a chance that you might actually run for president? <laughs> we got, we got to open up with that one. No. <laughs> no. Man, that's a good opener. The Lord, right? please, no, Lord change his heart. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. You know, it was so weird in 2016. Mm. I actually came close to doing it. Mm. Like in 2016, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was this weird thing where Bill Crystal reached out and said, hey, we need we need a third party candidate. And then I, I was like, well, what about this person? And they said, no. I said, what about this person? He said, well, they said no. And mm. then I was realizing like he was going down, he was going down the draft board <laughs> and he'd finally got to me. And I was thinking, well, somebody needs to do this. Somebody needs to do this. But then the more I looked at it, the more I realized, man, especially in 2016, um, the amount of work and and money you'd have to raise just so that a person would know your name. That's all they they would know, just your name, was unbelievable. Like the two parties have such a lock. Wow. On... They have such a now. I'm not saying that nobody can break through. Sure, right, right. I think somebody can break through. I mm-hmm. think somebody could break through. But you know, starting you know when your starter's pistol goes off and it's like June 2016 with an election in November mm. and nobody knows who you are. Yeah, uh, right, that's yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's that's a that's a lot. Got that's you. a lot. But I got you. Yeah, but if you started earlier and you started to get a grassroots movement going. I mean, I think stuff's possible. I think people are ready for alternatives. Definitely. Um, there was a funny moment, though, when all that was happening. So yeah. my name leaked out. Mm-hmm. And here's one thing. If any of you guys, if either of you guys ever decide to run for president, here, I mean, here's my <laughs> advice to you. Okay. <laughs> so decide whether you're going to look at Twitter or not look at Twitter. Right. Make Make your choice. But don't do what I did, which was not look at Twitter all day until midnight when I should be starting to go to sleep. Because oh. then what happens is you're like catching up on days of people flaming you oh. or the whole day of people flaming you. But I did catch this one great clip. So I was living in a smaller town in Tennessee at the time and local news went down to the town. Columbia, Tennessee was yeah. what, it, what it's called. And of course, they do what all the big city news does when they go to a small town. They go to the local diner yeah. and they just interview who's ever in the diner. Yeah, and yeah. so they got three people and they said, oh, do you know who David French is? And one guy says, yeah, 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 but uh, you know, I'm voting for Trump. Another person says, um, yeah, I think I know who he is, but he was voting for Biden. And then the third person, they said, do you know who David French is? And she said, I've never heard of him, but if his name ain't Trump and his name ain't Hillary, he's got my vote. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was, 
That's exactly what our polling said. Like, if people knew there was a third-party alternative, we could get maybe up to one-third of everybody. But yeah. the problem was, like, yeah. could anybody even know? Wow. But anyway. That is mad. Yeah, I mean, I know it, it, it was, we, we were getting a little, it was getting a little toasty for a moment because I remember uh, NBC did an article, like, uh, who is David French? Is he, and, and is he running yeah. for president? Uh-huh. I think Mitt Romney said said something that he was looking Mitt for. Said the, something? Yeah. Old like, Mitty oh. came out the, <laughs> old Mitty came out and spoke. Yeah, so we were like, oh, snap. It's funny sure. um, because I can't remember exactly how I came across you and your work. Um, I'm always a big proponent. I'm always reading stuff online all the time, and I, I just like to read. But I came across your work. I don't know from who, but I was like, I really like how David Frank writes, and I really like his perspective. I really feel like it kind of matches where where kind of me and KB have been. Um, and then I think I came across, I think the the one that you wrote for the National Review um, I think it was called Why I'm Changing the Way I, I, I Write About Police Brutality. Yeah. Mm. And then when I read that, I was like, man, I'm, I, I have to read more of David French. I think I read another one from The Atlantic that you did on the Second Amendment because I'm a, I'm a big two-way guy, as people on the show know. Yeah. And then I think I told you, I was like, hey, you got to read this guy oh, named David French, on, man. For sure. Um, and I was like, I feel like he has a lot of the perspectives that we have. Sure. Um, and, and, and he's also conservative, but he, he doesn't feel like he's like extremely partisan yeah, as yeah, we, yeah. as me and KB have been so tired of. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. and so that's what kind of, uh, attracted me to your, to your work. And, and, um, and I've been blessed by it ever since. And I know that you were attorney. I'm not sure if you still practice. I might write a brief for the mm-hmm. Supreme Court this summer. Oh, okay. Just to like remember what it's like. Right. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I, I stopped, uh, I stopped practicing full time mm-hmm. in 2015. Right. And I went, I went to National Review full time in 2015. I'm not there anymore, but I mm-hmm. went in May 2015. And the next month, June, is when Trump came down the escalator and I didn't have a vacation for five years. Right. Right. I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine. Uh, Everybody remembers the the Trump coming down the escalator moment. The Simpsons got that right, too. (laughs) One of the things that is interesting about who who you are, your your faith in in Jesus, your, your, your values, your perspective, your background, but you also have uh, time that you've done in the service. Yes. In a very, very perilous time in our country. Could you please mm. give us some of that before we kind of yeah. deep dive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so um back in like 05, I was a lawyer working at a civil liberties group called the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. Mm. Had a great life. Was living in Philly, uh Center City Philly, mm. trying to like the Sixers. And um <laughs> Eating Philly uh, cheesesteaks. That's right. And I read a news article about how um, the Army was having trouble meeting recruiting targets. And Mm. I remember telling my wife, because this was the worst days of the Iraq War, and I remember telling my wife and looking at her and saying, man, this country's too soft to fight a a long war. Mm. And as soon as I said those words, I felt like this conviction. You know when you feel that conviction that you can't? shake mm-hmm. it was like what are you doing message why are you condemning other people for not doing something that you're not doing either Ooh, wow. and so i looked at my wife and she looked at me and she was let's say initially reluctant like sure. not mm-hmm. all about it sure but she took a day and she prayed about it and there's kind of a funny uh, interesting story there but i come back from work the next day and she's got tears in her eyes and she says you need to sign up Wow. And I said, well, and I said, well, if I sign up, 
I'm I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to go to Iraq. She says, "You you got to do it." Wow. So I walk down. I'm a 36 year old lawyer. Mm. <laughs> the age limit was 35, but wow. I knew I could get an age waiver. Uh-huh. And I walked in. I weigh 25 pounds more than I weigh right now. Like all in my gut, I am. <laughs> I'm so out of shape that when I first started running to get ready for officer basic, one quarter mile in, I pulled a hamstring. Oh. Wow! Like that. That's how bad Good it hammy. was. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And so, but I passed the physical and six months later, I'm at Fort Lee for officer basic training. Um, Nine months after that, I passed through the Army JAG school, the first phase of Army JAG school, which is Army, you know, Army lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then in November 07, I deployed to Iraq with the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment. I was with the 2nd Squadron, and we were out in eastern Diyala province during the surge, and I did uh, detainee operations and Law of armed conflict, like shoot, don't shoot, tribal relations, military wow. justice. And wow. then, you know, I served with the combat arms unit and I was outside the wire, which is our term for outside the base in, in the countryside quite a bit. Not as much as the, you know, the cav troopers were, mm-hmm. but quite a bit. And uh, I'll never forget landing November 22nd, 2007 at three or four in the morning at this Ford operating base, Caldwell in eastern Iraq. Mm. And one of the troop commanders comes up, puts his arm around me. And I don't have a poker face. Like when I'm scared or, you know, I'm dealt two aces, you can see it. Yeah, right, yeah. right, 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 right. And and he could see, I like my eyes were big. I was like, what the what the heck am I doing? He puts his arm around me because a lawyer, that's what they called me until they liked me, was just lawyer, <laughs> uh, if you live through this, this is the most important year of your life. Ooh. And all I heard at that moment was, if you live through this. Um, but the latter part was true. Most important year of my life. And so that was 07, 08 during the mm. surge. Um, mm. Wow. And yeah, the memories, the relationships, the experience, the way it changed me, the way it changed my outlook on life. I mean, I'm Powerful. still, I'm I'm a different person today because of all of that. Wow, wow, man. God bless you and thank you for your service, yes. brother. Amen. Yes, indeed. Amen. As we were talking it's about heavy. the, yeah, some of the, the work that you have done, um, you know, even like as a constitutional lawyer, right? Um, yeah. Regarding, and I think that you handled a lot of religious liberty cases. Uh, yeah. And you have been a- at the middle um, and at really in the middle and at the intersection of the, of really, you know, your own Christian faith and public policy. With that being said, could you help us understand why it is important for Christians mm. to be involved yeah. in politics? Yeah. No, that's a great question. I go back to one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Micah six eight. Mm-hmm. Micah six eight, because this has implications for a lot of things. But Micah six eight says, "What does the Lord require of you, O man? What is good?" Okay, well, if, what, as soon as you got that question posed, what does He require of you? What is good? I'm listening. And <laughs> oh, says, right. Micah six eight. What does the Lord require of you, O man? What is good? To act justly. Mm to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. So what's that first part? Act justly. Uh-huh. In other words, so when you see injustice, a Christian, a believer, should be right there seeking justice. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So, and politics isn't the only place where you seek justice. Right, sure. You know, politics isn't the only place where you find justice, but politics is a place to act justly. It's a place to seek justice. Yeah. Right there is in politics. Right. And and you know, a lot of us get that. A lot of people get that kind of instinctively. 
they forget the other two parts, which are love, <laughs> kindness, and to uh, walk humbly. Yes. You know, we're all about justice, justice, justice. And if you're wrong, you're horrible. I hate you. Right. And you don't, you know, have any room in your own mind for humility to mm. think, Maybe I could be wrong. Yeah. Mm. You know, I might have a good impulse or a good idea about what I want to do, and but maybe I'm wrong about it. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. so we often, you know, you act justly, but you gotta remember the other two. It's, you know, love, mercy, or kindness, depending on the translation, and walking humbly. Yeah. But that act justly, that's not optional. Hey. Right, right. It's not optional. Mm-hmm. That's real good. It's so good that we that the scripture gives it gives us this path of life with these three things tied together that there is justice there is humility mm-hmm. uh and there's love uh mercy and uh one of the things that you have done a good bit of work on to help us with is the idea of as you are acting or trying to act justly in the culture make sure you're bringing the life love mercy and humility of Jesus right. with you amen i'm i'm thinking about a debate that i watched that you were in where I guess the debate was over Frenchism and Amarianism. And Brother Amari seemed to be arguing that there was virtue in getting rid of being civil. That there was like, right. there's this, yeah. like, it's almost virtuous for us to throw out the Jesus playbook and pick up something else. And uh, I remember watching that. I mean, and I actually talked about it on the show at one point because mm-hmm. it was so upsetting. <laughs> Because if I was there, if I was in the audience and I got a chance to talk, I would have walked up there and I would have said, listen, man, I just want to, uh, for a second, just speak to, uh, on behalf of the South Side, South Side. Uh, and say, Mr. Amari, what you are talking about, even the way you just insulted Dave in front of all of us, oh, man. you need to be very grateful that we live in a, a civil society where people will be punished <laughs> if they punch you in the face. Because that is kind mm-hmm. of what happens when you throw out civility from where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Right. The civility keeps yeah. things on the rails. It was, yeah, because when, ta- <laughs> when we were watching, I was like, I don't, I don't know if you know what you're asking for, yes. because where we're from, if you were to remove the civility yes then it would be a different it's easy to say that from a place of safety that's right the accountability the accountability that comes with a society that at least values civility Mm -hmm. keeps things on the rails right Right, so it it means that there's things i won't do or won't say because of that kind of accountability Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we see perhaps it's got to be top five issues for believers talking through these issues of justice, especially on Twitter, is kind of giving into that playbook that perhaps yeah, the way yeah. to get things done is to ignore the clear commands of Jesus around humility and mercy. Yep. Could you speak to that some mm-hmm. for us, doctor? Hold on to your butt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the argument he made was that civility and decency are what he called second order values, like they're lesser important values compared to taking on your political opponents, because you got to beat your political opponents hmm. in, you know, in his view. And the point that I made in response was pretty simple, because he's he's a Christian. Yeah. You know, we're reading the same scriptures. Yeah. Was look, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. These were not, it was not love your enemies unless you lose at politics. It was not bless those who persecute you unless they're owning you on Twitter, right? Uh. And and he's saying that, and and those, those admonitions from Jesus, from the apostles are coming at a time when the church is persecuted in a way that we can't even comprehend. Facts. Right. Like, absolutely. I mean, if you took a first century Christian and you landed them in the United States of America, where the evangelical 
church is one of the most powerful political factions in the most powerful nation in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. And then listen to our tale of persecution, Mm. they wouldn't stop laughing. (laughs) Like they wouldn't stop laughing. We know what kind of persecution they face. It's it's outlined in Hebrews, and it includes things like being sawn in two, like being literally Come sawn on. in two. Come on. And we're like, well, we got to abandon civility if one of our guys was shadow banned on Twitter. <laughs> what? What in the world? Talk what? that talk. What are we talking about here? And so, you know, on the one hand, you say, I mean, oh, come on, this is being ridiculous that we can't be decent when we have all of this wealth and privilege and power right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what you've got is a whole bunch of people telling a whole bunch of good folks, normal folks, just trying to live their lives that you need to be afraid. You need to be afraid. Mm, you need to be afraid. Right. And that's how they raise money. That's how they mobilize people to vote. And so you've got this whole Christian community where people are just telling them, be afraid, be afraid, Fear. be afraid, be afraid. And then the people who do that hate it when somebody says, whoa, hold on. We don't need to be afraid. Oh. Right. Hold on. There is no reason for fear. Hold on. We're we need to seek justice and we need to act justly. But we live in a time of blessings and prosperity that we haven't seen in much in human history. Mm, right. And so telling people, especially believers, all the time, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, you're hurting them. Mm. I mean, you're you're hurting them when you do that. Mm. I know you guys see it. I, I see it every day. The people who are living in these nice houses and they've got their kids and they've got their grandkids and it should be like their golden years of yeah. their life. And instead, they've got Tucker on and they're right. just furious. Right. They're just mad. Just mad. Right. You know, it's sad. It was so funny. Uh, oh. a, a story a long time ago that our pastor was telling us about was at his at his old job, he was a big corporate guy. Yeah. He said that his boss had all of this money, the CEO of the company had all of this money and, Bar- and Barack Obama was president at the time. Yeah. They were having a conversation just about politics and he was talking about how angry he was at Obama, how afraid he was. And he was like, you you live in a million dollar house and my, you drive a hundred fifty thousand dollar car. What are you scared? <laughs> what, why yeah. are you scared? And yeah. and what are you? He said, "What are you upset about? That's what right. are you mad about?" But I, I think that we have a, a, a we live in this milieu where in politics, folks are constantly using fear as a tactic to gain support. And yeah. speaking about that. When I think about politics, it's funny because when you you always hear people say the two things that you don't talk about is religion and politics, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Two of these things can seem very similar. Like a lot of the times people can treat politics as a religion, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Or they can have this religious type of devotion to their political team. Sure. So I well am said. devoted to my team in a way that is very religious mm. in nature. My team has an orthodoxy. If you depart from that orthodoxy, now you are a heretic, uh-huh. right? So you're, you're not really a conservative. You're not really a Republican. You're yeah. not. And you see that we live in a culture where there is this religious type of devotion to political teams. And then we have all of this political tribalism. How could you help us understand how we can engage in the political landscape that we find ourselves in without succumbing to the tribalism that seems to be a lot of the times inherent? In politics, yeah, right, yeah, 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 because yeah. If, I feel like if you enter into politics and your biblical ethics doesn't lead you, then the politics is going to lead the the kind of political ideology is going to lead everything else. Yeah, right. Yeah. So how do we how do we do that without getting you know led astray? Boy, that's a great question. So I, I think of it like this: I think 
let's just let's just go back to scripture and again what's not optional for mm-hmm. us like mm-hmm. what's not mm-hmm. optional so what's not optional act justly right um jesus himself uh, rebukes those who neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy you know mm-hmm. so justice is absolutely critical it's also not optional for us to show the fruit of the spirit come on I, that's not optional yeah, yeah. in fact that's exactly how we're supposed to be known and identified is through the fruit of the spirit so if it's not optional for me to seek justice, it's not optional for me to engage in, to show the fruit of the spirit. That's going to tell me a lot about how I move into this space. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to I'm acting justly, I'm seeking justice, but I'm not ever forsaking kindness. I'm not mm. ever forsaking patience. I'm not ever forsaking these values. Mm. And here's what's interesting. It doesn't say seek power. Okay? Mm. It doesn't say seek power, and that's counterintuitive to a lot of people because they think isn't power a prerequisite for justice? Wow. Maybe it isn't because, you know, maybe justice can be executed by people who are not you, mm-hmm. right? Maybe justice can be executed by people who are not you, yeah. but you've reached their heart, sure. right? You've right. reached their heart. Years ago, I was in a, this real, I'll never forget this. I was in this uh, Bible study with Reverend Walter Fontroy, who, one of the founders of the Congressional Black Caucus, one of the uh, one of the guys, like really central in the civil rights movement, late 50s, early 60s. And I remember talking to him and I remember saying, look, we know we we still got issues. We know we still got issues, but we also know between Brown v. Board mm-hmm. and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, in just 10 years, American law changed fundamentally. Wow, right? wow, wow. We had one legal structure for 345 years that explicitly allowed for racial bigotry enforced by violence. Mm -hmm. And then after 1964, we did not have a legal structure that allowed racial bigotry enforced by violence. Wow. I mean that racial bigotry went away. Sure, sure, sure. That the the legal superstructure did. And that's a short time. You know, and Mm -hmm. that's... Absolutely. And I asked him and he said two things. He said, Almighty God and the First Amendment. That's how we did it. Uh. First Amendment gave us the right to speak. And Almighty God opened men's hearts. Message. So if you go back and you look at the civil rights movement, when it started, did anyone in it have power? Right. Nope. Did anyone in it? Mm -mm. They had less power than we can really comprehend right now. Right. Absolutely. They had no power. None. But what did they do? They sought justice. Yes. Mm -hmm. They acted justly. Yes. And then with this philosophy of nonviolence, they did not for a minute forsake the fruit of the spirit. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And and this turned into one of the most powerful social movements in the whole history of the United States of America. Say that. Right. And it did not depend on King becoming president first. Ooh. Right? And that's a fact. And so this is this is what I, what I'm talking about. The difference between acting justly and seeking justice and seeking power what ends up happening if you say to achieve justice, I have to have power, what's the priority going to be? It's going to be the power. All right. It's always going to be the power. But if your priority is the justice, you don't necessarily care who has the power mm. if they act justly, yeah, if yeah. justice comes. Right, right, right. And that it's a, it's a subtle difference, right? It's a subtle difference, but man, it changes your frame. That's right. good. It totally changes your frame because yeah. it starts to say... Hey, you know this guy I disagree with on abortion? Mm-hmm. I agree with him on police brutality. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And I'm going to go 
where he is, and we're going to form a bond around that. Yes, right. yes, yes. Because my goal isn't to beat him. My goal is to work with him where we agree. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? And so, but when we put everything in that political binary, because I disagree with him on one thing, I can't work with him on another thing because that will elevate him. Mm. That will make him more prominent. That mm. will make him more powerful. And I look in that power, and that power feels like a zero-sum game, but justice isn't. Wow. And and I, I just think of that as a kind of a... Sh- it's been a shift in my own, my own mind. Yes, sir. Because yeah. I used to be much more like, my side needs to win, and then all the good things will happen. Right. And then I started to realize, wait, a lot of good things can happen, even if my side doesn't win. Right, 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 right. That was a big change, and, and it made me see the scripture in a different way, because again and again, it's not... It's not, you know, hey, Christians. I mean, look, there is no political guidebook in the New Testament That's right. about how to supplant or disrupt or overcome Caesar. Right. It's not in there. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But through the miracle of and the power of Christ, Jesus' name is still on every lips, and Caesar Augustus is like a trivia question. Right, right, right. So justice is the goal. If you're going to power first as the means to justice, I think you got it. You're getting it wrong. Man, that's strong, man. You know, as you were uh, recounting the civil rights movement, um, it reminded me that the story of the civil rights movement is also, uh, it's, it has links to the story of the inauguration of the church. Mm-hmm. I think about the first, second, mm-hmm. and third century, you have this virgin religion that nobody has heard of, no political nobody. power. I mean, we get to participate, to participate in democracy here, right? Mm-hmm. And as I think about the Greco-Roman world and what it meant for you to protest in that world, uh, that would be securing your immediate execution. They did not, they did not allow for disruption within the empire. So you got people that don't even have partnership with the state as an option. Right. And they don't have all of the ways that we can disseminate and spread information. They, it's them their Jesus and their faith in him. That's all there was. Mm -hmm. That gospel turned the world upside down. It became this powerhouse via partnership with the work of God Mm -hmm. and the work of God's way, not necessarily or at all with the partnership with the state. And I'm also thinking about the ways in which justice broke through without their votes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think about how Roman law allowed for babies to, if you didn't want them to be left outside the city and how Christians would Mm -hmm. go outside the city and rescue babies, Mm -hmm. adopting many of them. I'm thinking about the ways that women were oftentimes uh, silenced or, 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 or degraded and put aside, but not in God's kingdom culture with those who named the name of Jesus. Women were protected and elevated and encouraged and ordained. Right. I've seen I've seen through the stories of how they would continue to influence the heart of the society via their witness. Right. And that if you're in the success, which we all want to be successful, right, shows itself to be a more advantageous way than doing it via the sword. Right. And doing it via you know, we are basically going to legislate our gospel as opposed to letting our gospel do what it does in people's hearts, which I think brings me into the current political or say cultural debate around critical race theory. (laughs) Mm. Now we have done 
a, uh, a very extensive series on this. Perhaps some would say too extensive. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, audience felt, that was like we're tired. Like, of all yo, the six episodes. <laughs> Goodness we, gracious, got no weeds. Yeah, but this thing is very much still alive. I thought it was gone. If you got, if you get off Twitter, so I got off Twitter for a while, and I was like, man, things yeah. have improved. Uh. The sky was bluer. Butterflies, the colors <laughs> of their wings was just more, you know, vibrant, vivid. Uh, more vivid. And uh, I was a part of this event, and uh, I watched this gentleman get on stage. And essentially do what you described, D. French. He uh, he essentially <laughs> was telling everybody, we need to be afraid. Be scared. Be scared. Be afraid. Yeah. They're coming for us. They're in our schools, indoctrinating our kids. Mind you, his kids are homeschooled. But he's saying, yeah. they're going after your kids. They want them. And of course, the culprit sitting in the corner was critical race theory. And I was like, yo, yeah. this thing is still here. Could you talk to us a little bit about two things? One. How should Christians who are engaging this conversation in the public square, how should they think about it? How should their responses yeah. be? What should they know? Walk us through that a little bit, brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Let's go back to my Micah 6.8. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, all right, let's, let's look at it this way. All right, you have a nation between 1619 and 1964, 345 years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have 345 years where you have legally sanctioned bigotry defended by violence. Mm. All right. That is going to have an effect. Let's just assume for a minute something that's not true. Let's just say in 1964, when the Civil Rights Act passed, everybody changed. You know, all the racists became non-racists. All the racial structures in the U.S. became non-racist. Everything changed. We would still be having a hard time untangling and fixing the effects of 345 years. We would have a hard time. Now let's add on to that, that passing a law in 1964 didn't change everything. It didn't mean that everybody's hearts were changed. It didn't mean that racist people became non-racist. It didn't mean that racist institutions became non-racist. I mean, people were still desegregating schools in the 70s. And so what you're dealing with, and this is what I try to say to people, is one of the most complicated social, cultural, economic, and political challenges that can possibly exist mm. is if you're committed to, uh, to racial justice and reconciliation and eliminating the effects of that injustice, mm. it's going to be one of the most complicated social, cultural, political, economic challenges that exists in the world. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so what what should that mean? That should mean I'm walking humbly into it. Ooh, mm -hmm. so there's Micah. I'm walking humbly into it because I, there's a lot I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's a lot I don't know. So part of walking humbly to me means I'm open to hearing from lots of voices. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a default posture that says I'm open to hearing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that it one of my biggest problems with the CRT debate is people are not walking into this open to hearing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so whether or not you agree all the way with Kimberly Crenshaw or whether or not you agree all the way with Derek Bell, there there are going to be things that you're going to read if you read a Kimberly Crenshaw Law Review article that I guarantee you, especially if you came from the background I came from, you know, uh, white evangelical conservative world. You've never heard in your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've never heard it. 
And so you need to be open enough to hear and to absorb things that you've never considered. That's right. So my big problem with the anti-CRT debate isn't that there's a debate as much as there is that people are trying to stop a debate. Mm. They're trying to say, um, I don't want my kids, even 18-year-old or even college kids, exposed to these ideas. And I'm like, no, I think that's, there's a fundamental problem with yep. that. Mm-hmm. Because we need to walk into this humbly, this incredibly complicated world humbly and get all the wisdom and try to pull all the wisdom that we can. And then the other th- the other part of this that really that really gets to me is then this idea that if I'm open or if I want to hear from lots of different voices, Christian and non-Christian mm-hmm. by the way. Right. Like like a Jamar Tisby, right? Jamar Tisby is a believer in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. <laughs> Right, and if I'm open to hearing from Jamar Tisby, believer in Jesus, right? I think he went to Reformed Theological RTS, Seminary, right? Yep. RTS graduate, believer in Jesus, that it's somehow a threat to my Christianity. Mm. But I can listen to atheists on the other side of the of the on the CRT debate. No problem. Drink that down with, without a challenge. Exactly. <laughs> Drink that down. Bring in the an atheist yep. who. And and a guy who's a pretty obscene guy, by the way. Right, absolutely. And bring him on, and, you know, look, he'll be on the President of a Seminary's podcast explaining to Christians what they should think about critical race theory. (laughs) But if you bring Jamar Tisby, a Christian, to a Christian college, then there's petitions, and this is a threat, and this is... I've shared a stage with Jamar Tisby. Mm -hmm. Jamar's a good guy. We love him. He's a good guy. And to sit there and say, I I don't want to hear from him at a Christian school, but by the way, here's this James Lindsay tweet. Right. <laughs> you know, that's what what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? And and look, critical race theory is complicated. There's mm-hmm. parts of it that have been really insightful to me. There's parts of it that I disagree with. Right. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's one other thing. We have this habit of learning that we've learned through uh, our highly partisan politics, and Mm. it it goes like this. I hear an idea that I'm not familiar with, Mm. so critical race theory. I did an an essay last week where I showed how the spike in Google Trends searches for critical race theory Uh just blasted up in 2021. What that tells me is... Nobody knew what it was. It was nobody knew what it was. Like you said, it was a very niche (laughs) argument for a very niche crowd. That's right. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So in 2021, it spikes way up. So how do we learn about it? I guarantee you this is how most people like that I I know who are conservative, who live around me, they went and they found a conservative who'd written about CRT to read what does the conservative think about CRT. That's right. Right. And that's not how we should learn stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I, I try to tell students when I teach or when I lecture at colleges, if there's a new idea that you've never heard of, the first thing you do is you go and you read the idea's advocate mm, first. Right, right. In other words, read the person who articulated the idea, then go read their critique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so read the idea's proponent before you read the idea's opponent. Right. You're going to get a more full sense. Mm-hmm. But if you go and you hear what's the CRT, and then the next th- thought is what does Ben Shapiro say about it, yeah. then... You're not, you know, and and I'm not insulting Ben. I'm just saying 
if a CRT advocate is not going to listen to Ben Shapiro and say, oh, Ben, Ben totally gets what we're about. Yes. Right. Right. And so, you know, think about the most important ways we find out facts in this country, um, jury trials. Right. You're going to hear from the prosecution and you're going to hear from the defense. That's right. Um, you don't just hear from one side. Right. And this is, but we, what we do all the time is if you're progressive and you hear something new, you go, well, who's my favorite progressive thinker? Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell me how to think about this. Or if you're conservative, you're going to say, who's my favorite conservative thinker? And they're going to tell me how to think about this. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And that co- completely just distorts the whole debate. That's so good. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's funny that you say that too, because... As you said, when I've had discussions with folks around critical race theory, because of course me and KB get accused of it all the time, right? Because now it, it, it's become the new. <laughs> Nobody knows what it Nobody is. knows what it is, and it's I just was a easy. critical race theorist before I even knew it. Right, right. It was just it's just the easy go to. <laughs> they discovered it before I did. Right, right. I was like dang. I, I always say to folks that we were being the reason that we actually started studying critical race theories because we were being accused of it. This was years ago. Right, right, right. And then we were yeah. like, "What are y'all talking about?" Like, and as if though we were we were sitting down and reading Kimberly Crenshaw. Derek Bell, Gary Pilar, Richard Delegato, and then uh-huh. we said, okay, this is they're framing how we view what is going uh-huh. on within our own communities. Um, and usually, as you like, as you pointed out, when I speak to people about critical race theory, they do not know what it is. And also, they have not read any of the source material. So I say, have you ever read Kimberly Crenshaw? Or have you ever read Derek Bell? Or yeah. have you ever read Matt Suda? Matt Suda. And they're like, no, I, I, I haven't. But here's this article from Ben Shapiro. Or here's, <laughs> here's, yeah, that's this, right. here's, here's from James Lindsay or Christopher Rufo. Which also makes me feel like I got played because you started calling me that. I went and read all these people right. and said, oh, I'm not that. And I came back to you and said, Hey man, what do you think critical race theory is? I don't know. Haven't read it. <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's funny that 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 you talk about that because one of the things me and KB always say is that a lot of the times folks decide whether or not something is true based upon whether they've ever heard it before. That's right. So critical yeah. race theory comes. I've never heard of this. Instantly scared can't of it. Instantly can't be true yeah. because I I've never heard of this before. It's new. Right. Especially I think that Christians that come from our background, we come from a reformed, you know, evangelical background. It's right. like if we've never heard of this. then if it's a new idea then it's a threat it's automatically a threat to everything that we know to be true especially because we based a lot of our christian belief off of what we have gotten from you know the fathers and things throughout history right 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 um but but in that vein of folks only coming to understand new ideas by going to you know their kind of teams to to hear what they have to say about it we are living like in a digital media age, we're living in an information age, right? Right. Um, and in the information age, we are so inundated with information. I mean, we we probably have more access to information now than we ever have throughout right. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it's a double-edged sword. On one end, it's really great that we have access to all this information. Very helpful. But on the other end, Brother French, it makes wisdom and discernment very, very, uh, very hard. Yes. So yes. how, help us think Everything's through. Everything's the fog. Right. Yeah. Everything is the fog, right? Yeah. So help us how yeah. how do you approach, you know, getting wisdom and discernment in this information age, even with any with something like critical race theory or what's happening in, in, in Ukraine and Russia? I mean, it could be any number of things. Yeah. How do we go about going into this information age that we're all swimming in and coming yeah. back with correct information? Great question. Man. You know? <laughs> That's so hard. <laughs> so solve it for us, sir. <laughs> yeah. I have that question a lot. I talk to people, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll say two things to me. Um, one is, how do I find out what's true? 
And then I'll I'll give in a solution, and they say, "Well, that sounds like there that involves some time, like some time." And, <laughs> right? Sounds and like I work. Say, well, yeah, and, and I get it. People are busy. You know, I totally get it. And I say, "But do you have an opinion on this subject?" Mm-hmm. And they'll say, "Yeah." If you got time for an opinion, you got time to figure out the basis for the opinion. Message. And so, otherwise, don't have the opinion. Mm. Right. Right? Because it's totally fine if you can say, look, I've got nine soccer practices a week. Um, You know, I'm serving at church. I'm doing Room in the Inn, which is a homeless ministry here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about CRT. Like that's a that's a fine answer. Absolutely, you know that's a fine answer. Wish more would say that. But if you're going to say, here's what I think about any Ukraine or CR, you before you're going to say the words, here's some basic homework. And my basic homework that I would ask people to do is whatever is your favorite news source. Like let's say it's Fox, you know, talking to a conservative or NPR talking to a progressive. Take your time. How much time do you spend on that in a day? Cut it in half and replace the other half with another news source from the other side. Mm. Pick a good one. Yeah. Pick a good one. So if you're going on foxnews.com, um, go right after you leave leave Fox News, go to New York Times. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm not saying the New York Times is always right. right. I'm not saying Fox is always right. Just, just switch it up. That's mm-hmm. good. And there's some interesting social science that says when we switch it up, it actually does in many ways, make us more open to opposing points of view because we realize that it's not a caricature Hmm. that, you know, if you're a person and there are millions of people who do this, who come home, they turn on Fox at eight or seven or whatever after dinner, and they don't turn it off until they go to bed. They're not getting the best expression of the other side's point of view. They're getting a caricature of it constantly. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting study done recently where people were sort of paid to switch their media diet to go from Fox really? to CNN, and it changed their perspective. Wow. So, you know, there's this old phrase, garbage in, garbage out. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. But I think you can say partisanship in, partisanship out. Mm. Right. And so if you mix it up, if you if it's something that you care enough about to have an opinion, care enough about it to try to balance your news diet. That's so good. Even if it's just two, two sites a day. Yeah. Right. Pick one conservative that's smart, pick one liberal site that's smart, and just roll with that. That's my new habit. Two sites a day, both smart, both on opposing sides. And I honestly tell you, it's transformative. That's powerful. Mm. It's yeah. transformative. Yeah. Because mm. one, one thing it does is it tells you the people on the other side, lots and lots of those people that you've been told to fear and that you've been told to hate, a lot of them share a lot of the same values that you do. That's good. And a lot of the same goals that you do. Yes. And are coming at this issue in, in good faith. Yeah. But if all you do is you consume partisan media, there's this really interesting study out that says the people who consume the most partisan media are the most wrong about their political opponents. Mm. Wow. They think they're far more extreme than they really are. Mm. And and that's a powerful insight. And, and one, you know... That's why I say you just pick two. I, I, if you're if you want to have an opinion about it, make the time to pick two sources. That's mm-hmm. so good. That's mm-hmm. so good. I think I had a, a, a kind of uh, revelation moment with hearing from the other side in the ways that you've just described uh, around the issue of of abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am pro life, and um, I had never heard 
any of the rationale mm -hmm. behind why somebody would want to do that to their child. Mm -hmm. uh, or mm -hmm. I hadn't heard any of the rationale around people who had never gotten an abortion, never would get abortion, but would call themselves pro-choice. I had never heard anything. Right. And as I begin to read more about what is the actual position of individuals who say, I don't mind voting for somebody that is pro-choice, and I lean that way, I found that people weren't like, like standing before Moloch, like wanting to sacrifice babies. Right. It opened my heart, and I was like, oh, these are in a lot of ways individuals that share the same values that I have. We just are landing at a, same, a different conclusion. Mm -hmm. I want to preserve life. They want to preserve life. They don't believe. Uh, it's not this widespread opinion that, that babies in the womb aren't real lives or not real humans. That is manufactured mm -hmm. a lot of times by our, um, our favorite politician to keep us supporting them. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you find is that there's a lot more reasonable debate that we could have if we would show up to the table. Right. Uh, and I, and I, ex yeah. I, I experienced that in my own family. I, I was at a birthday party uh, and uh, my cousin didn't see things the way that I did. Right. And almost in the process of like five minutes, we were on the same page. This isn't like a conversation of reprobation as if we, as we're constantly sort of yeah. uh, told that it is. Right. There's actually a lot of opportunity. The harvest is ripe for persuasion if you don't show up with all your prejudgments uh, that you got from your echo chamber. Right. Man, on that point, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much to say. So I'm pro-life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was pro-life lawyer, been pro-life my whole life. Yeah. I want Roe to be reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know this. I also know that the abortion rate has gone down since from 1980 to now mm. through every president. Mm. Absolutely. It's gone down through pro-life Reagan, pro-life Bush, pro-choice Clinton, pro-life Bush, pro-choice Obama, pro-life uh, Trump administration. It's gone down every administration. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's a super, super complicated answer. But one of the reasons that is, is even pro-choice people don't think of abortion as a positive good. Mm, yes. Yep. There's this really incredible study out of Notre Dame where they took several hundred people, demographically representative. It's the best study you'll ever see about abortion, people's real heart, their real sure, attitude. Sure. And they just had conversations with them. Yeah. They didn't ask them a list of poll questions. And what they found was people had widely different views over whether abortion should be legal. But that what they said out of the hundreds of people, not even the most pro-choice person said that abortion was a positive good. Wow. And wow. So, so what that tells me is there's room to work even with pro-choice people. That's I'll right. give you an example it's just good. from our own lives. Mm -hmm. So my uh, oldest daughter, she got married young and um, she got pregnant in college and at 20 weeks, she had an ultrasound that said that my granddaughter was going to have terrible, terrible birth defects mm. and might not survive. Mm. And exactly the kind of diagnosis that leads people sometimes to get late-term abortions, because mm. uh, this was at 20 weeks, right? Mm. And so it was, it was crushing, it was crushing. But one thing that Tennessee has, it has a medical program called TenCare, mm that no matter, because she was a disabled uh, baby, um, 
no matter the cost, it was going to all be covered. Wow. Wow. It was all going to be covered by TenCare. And so she could go to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. She could have experimental surgery five minutes after Lila was born and not pay a dime. Wow. Wow. Right? And that's what happened. She had experimental surgery five minutes after she was born. And now she's 15 months old and a healthy, wonderful little grandbaby. Yes. And so if you're pro-life... And we know for a fact that financial fears and insecurity create a lot of the demand for abortion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can work with somebody who's pro-choice about how do we ease financial fears and insecurity yeah. surrounding child poverty or yeah. surrounding young moms who don't know how they're going to take care of their baby. Right. They might disagree with me on Roe, but I bet you 90% of those folks, if I said, hey, let's deal with some child poverty here. Which is pro-life. Yes. Right. Which will save lives. Yes, absolutely. It just flat out will save lives. Then you're going to get a lot of agreement. That's good. But again, what are you thinking first? You're not thinking power. You're thinking justice. Mm. Because if you're thinking power first, you're thinking, I don't even want to have to work with that other person because I'm going to beat them. (laughs) Right. Right. Man. And you can't always do that. You can't always beat them. Sorry, that's so true. Right, 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 right. Just to speak on that a little bit too. Even when we were talking about just the the nuance of some of these conversations, like when I think about like my conservative brothers and sisters that are very much so about individual rights, right, and that kind of liberty, Mm -hmm. right. Right, And even some folks can go like Mm -hmm. hyper individualistic, sure, right. But very much so about individual rights. And then you think about the the abortion debate, and you think about those who are pro choice. Their position is also about individual rights. Mm. It's like we're, mm-hmm. we're all talking about the liberty for the individual sure, sure, and their sure. individual rights here, right? right it's right. like so nuanced. Like right, right. It's so much more than just making it a black and white sure. thing. Even yeah. though I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely pro-life, I just was thinking about how we make everything so black and white and yeah. so binary. That's easy. You know, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. And we want easy answers. And That's right. as me and KB said, one of our mantras for our podcast is no easy answers. No easy answers. That all the answers yeah. are not always as clean, cut, and easy as, That's right. as we would like them to be. Yeah. And speaking of things not being as easy. Beautiful segue. We want to talk <laughs> a little bit about Russia and Ukraine. Yes, uh, please. Uh, Brother French. So... If, unless our lis- listeners, I know we unless, don't have a whole lot of time. I know we don't have a whole we, lot of time. But unless our listeners, y'all that are listening to this, is living under a rock, there is a very, very, very no. You need to be living you, you, under the Earth's core, right? Yeah, you might <laughs> no, under the rock tectonic, isn't big enough under the tectonic plates. <laughs> yes. um, that there is a very pernicious war going on between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, um, and I know that you have written about this as well. D French. So could you tell us, could you just give our viewers a little bit, like maybe a summary of what is going on, but also yeah. how we as Christians should view the war in Ukraine? Yes, sir. Man, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. So let me do this as, as simply as possible mm-hmm. and basically say, if you're Vladimir Putin, don't think about his worldview from the sense of the Soviet Union. Okay, so okay. The Soviet Union was this big, giant, atheist, communist empire Mm -hmm. that collapsed in the early 1990s. And a lot of people say he wants to bring back the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Mm. Think of the Russian Empire. Okay, so before the Soviet Union, there was a Russian Empire that existed. You can go look it up. You could Google Russian Empire in 1914. Okay. okay? And And you'll see a map. And you'll notice that the map of the Russian Empire is a lot bigger than the map of Russia. Mm, wow. Okay. 
And so the the Russian Empire, if you if you go and you Google that, you'll notice that there are some countries that don't exist in 1914. Mm-hmm. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, mm-hmm. Ukraine. Okay, just to take a few. Mm-hmm. It was a different time then. But essentially what what Vladimir Putin's vision is, it's not necessarily to recreate that whole Russian Empire, but it is that that Russian Empire encompassed the entire Russian world. Mm. And he wants the Russian world all under one roof, mm, okay? Right. And Ukraine is specific, and it has specific religious implication. Now, the Russian Empire was very religious, Russian Orthodox Church, right. very religious. And if you look at Ukraine, Kiev is considered the birthplace, the Jerusalem mm. of the Russian Orthodox mm. Church. Wow. And the Russian Orthodox Church is deeply embedded with the Putin regime. Mm-hmm. This is not a, a, a subject that has gotten a ton of analysis in the mainstream media, um, because as Dean Beckett from uh, New York Times said, we don't do a great job understanding religious motivations yeah, <laughs> all right. the time. Yeah, But there's a lot of religious motivation here. But if you think about what's happening as... This is a guy who believes, sees himself more in that Russian imperial mode mm. than, say, a, a communist dictator. Uh-huh. And that what he's trying to do is bring this Russian world under one roof, and he sees himself as a defender of the faith through the Russian Orthodox Church. Mm. And wow. there's even a Russian Orthodox Church parish in the FSB building. Really? The FSB is the new version of the KGB. Yeah. Yes. Really? Absolutely. So yeah, there's a lot of things going on here. There, There is, he doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO. Well, why doesn't he want Ukraine to join NATO? Uh-huh. Because he doesn't recognize Ukraine as a country. Mm. He recognizes it more as rightfully part of Russia. And if Ukraine joins NATO, then it's out of his hands forever. He can't beat NATO, right? Right. So... So what you're talking about is a vision that doesn't recognize Ukraine as a country. And what's a sort of a shorthand, simple way of saying that he doesn't recognize it? Look at that map of the Russian Empire in 1914. You won't see Ukraine. Wow. You won't see Ukraine. And so so what's happening here is like really deep, complicated, religious, um, geopolitical, strategic uh, calculations going on here. But we can't miss the religious element so of it. Right. Yeah. And what I've said and what I wrote is what we're seeing now is the best and worst of the church at once. Huh. So the worst of the church is this marriage with secular power right. to expand the sphere of religious control. Mm. So we're marrying up with Vladimir Putin mm-hmm. to extend the reach of the church and the control. No. The best that we're seeing is this incredible rallying that you're seeing amongst Christians around the globe yeah. mm-hmm. to take care of Ukrainian refugees. On the one hand, you've got like this Russian Orthodox Church that is married to Vladimir Putin, and Putin's committing war crimes right. to extend the reach and power of the church. And then you've got like a little Baptist church in Alabama who's sending its whole pastoral staff to Western Ukraine to like bring food and blankets to oh, Ukrainian I love it. refugees. Love it. You know, so what's what's the vision of Christianity there that we want to embrace? You know, it is definitely not that marriage with power and and military force to extend Christendom, and it is instead that little church in Alabama oh, that's saying, you know, all of you who are fr- those of you who are afraid, those of you who are hungry, come to us. Oof. You know, and also 
those people in Ukraine who are fighting like lions to right. defend their country. Yeah. Right. I'm not a I'm not a pacifist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely defense of your home yep. and your d- community. That is a virtue. Yes. That is that is a right kind of courage. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing sort of the best and the worst of what Christianity can do, like concentrated, boom, right in the spot in Europe. And, you know, I think we need to learn from it. It's like powerful. We need to learn from it. Yeah, it makes me think about the difference between the way of the kingdom and the way of empire, Yeah, which is always my concern around how I've seen a lot of evangelicals, especially around, you know, 2016 and Trump, yeah. um, handle Christianity in the public square and how they've married it to this kind of nationalism, yeah. right? You know, and like you said, it, it's an idea of we are going the way of power, yeah. not the way of justice. And we yeah. need power in order to bring justice, you know, uh, to the forefront. And I've been very convinced that a lot of folks are not really concerned about bringing justice to the forefront mm. more than they're concerned about power and then being yeah. able to use that power to implement, as you even said, like a type of Christendom throughout the land, right? Mm. Then I think about yeah. now that we're, th- we're, we're coming upon, we're on the heels of Easter, I'm thinking about how when Jesus gets taken to Pilate and he's like, look, I, I don't find this man at fault for anything. He's trying to think of a way to let him free. Yeah. And then the religious leaders at the time say, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. (laughs) That's what they say to him. That's right. And it makes me think about how it is marrying, it's using empire Mm -hmm. in order to achieve your interest. Yeah. Right? So you got the the powerful religious folks that, first of all, Jesus, I think it's so funny how evangelicals, we talk about what Jesus' life, death is burial and resurrection means for us spiritually. Right. And I think that we should. Yeah. But there's also a social implication here as well, that sure. you have this re- these religious leaders that are trying to hold on to power. They yeah. have all of this power. Mm. The religious power that these Pharisees have is more like a, it's like an institution mm-hmm. and that they partner with the state in order to hold on to power when they, when it is expedient for them. Mm. Right. Yes. So it's like, hey, yeah. you know, yep. Caesar, you're no friend of Caesar. So they're telling Pilate, if you let this man go, you are being disloyal to the empire. The empire. You've seen this. I know you've seen this. Mm -hmm. A fight that you see in Christianity right now is he's against Trump. Yes. They'll say that about me. Yep. They'll say to other Christians, he's against Trump. Mm -hmm. As if that's something that I should be ashamed about or should discredit me. Yeah. Right? Right. And so that's like, that's, he's not with Caesar. Right. He's not with Trump. Right. Exactly. He's not with Trump. It's the exact same thing. He's not with Trump. He's not with Caesar. And because he's not with Caesar, we're not with him either. That's right. Attack him. He's an enemy. It's the way of empire. It is not the way of the kingdom. I just love that it's not new to the scripture. Mm -hmm. It's not. This is not... Mm We're falling in the same traps that the devil has been setting since the inauguration of the church. And that's why when we had our episodes about nationalism in the political landscape, that's why I was so upset. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like it's very clear that this is not the first time that something like this has happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we see these examples of it in scripture, yet we continue to want to go the way of empire and the way of power. And I'm saying that when you look at what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, we have evangelicals that are saying in order for us to bring the kingdom on earth, we have to have power. Right, 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 right. And then as you said, D. French, when you look at how Jesus does it, Jesus is not even operating from a place of 
social power. Mm-hmm, he doesn't mm-hmm. even come from a place of social power. Yeah, he comes yeah. from a place of he's Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's the hood. Um, yeah, like, yeah. And, 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 and so what is this man? We know his father and mother. <laughs> what is this this man is talking about? Yeah. We know his parents. Doesn't That's he right. know like we know the him? Galilean? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that when you think about how the kingdom works, the kingdom turns I, I love that's why they have to turn the upside down kingdom that right. it turns power on mm-hmm. its head right. that the kingdom doesn't need social power in order for change and in order for justice right. to be achieved mm-hmm. yeah. and that the kingdom looks like it is meager it is weak it is it, the, the kingdom and even Jesus himself did not come as the it's funny because what a lot of in my opinion evangelicals saw in Trump was what the same people were expecting to see in Jesus. Mm-hmm. We were expecting a king to come on a horse that yes. was going to deliver Israel. Coming down a yep. gold escalator. He's coming down. Red tie. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's coming and he is going there to deliver. He he's going to deliver us. He's going to stand up to the empire. He's going to fight for us. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, oh, this guy, that's not, that's not the king. That's he's right. weak. He's meager. He's talking about humility. This, yeah. this is not what we think a king should look like. I think it also is good to, to point out that Sometimes folks will say, I'm okay with Jesus being like that. I, I just don't want to be like that. Oh. So I, I love the Jesus. Well, I don't want my political leader to be like that's that. Right. There's evangelicals that's literally said that. Falwell Jr., when he had a tweet that he put out that was essentially what you just said. Like, <laughs> we, we, we love mm-hmm. that in Jesus. Man, let's sing songs about that. But that's not what we need <laughs> down at the White House. But I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Luke 10, 3. Mm-hmm. He said to his disciples, Go. I am sending you out mm-hmm. like lambs among wolves. Message. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that we think about it, we see ourselves as wolves <laughs> among yep. lambs. That's so true. All these yep. sheeple out here, and here we are. Man. The mm-hmm. people that are showing our teeth, devouring, winning the day. And at the end of all your efforts, in all these conversations, as we even dream of what it is that you say. Let's say you say, if we can make these political wins, then we will uh, achieve what is best for us all. If you get it though, bro, if you're able to own the libs, if you're able to successfully drink all of their tears, if you are successfully to <laughs> ban uh, every idea that you think should not be banned, that you, if you are able to censor the world in the way that it fits right inside of what you call the Christian ethic. Mm -hmm. If people are no more in love with God than they were before, what have you Mm -hmm. accomplished? Mm -hmm. Have you Mm -hmm. persuaded a single heart? Has a single soul been rescued from the grips of death and sin and brought into the glorious kingdom through repentance and faith? We don't have anything if we are not winning people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I feel as though that there is there is this kind of ultimate reality that I want to keep before me too that one of the ways that can encourage me to not play into the lack of decency and civility and to try to see power and state owning things as opposed to persuasion and the way of the kingdom is realizing that Jesus's way is actually better. Mm-hmm. It's better to do mm-hmm. it the way he thinks it should be done. Because right. on the other end of that, there is not just justice. There's, there, there, there's not just peace. There's just not just love, just protection, the lifting of oppression, all the things that are great that we should fight for. But also there's the power to sustain it, mm-hmm. that it can continue because the kingdom will not be defeated. But your political opponents 
come and go. Jesus will not. Mm -hmm. He will stay victorious on the throne, undefeated forever. Why not just do things the way he wants them to be done? Mm -hmm. Because we will, in the end, get what it is that I think we really want. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. D. French, we're going to give you the last word, brother, before we let you go, man. Anything <laughs> that you want to want to share or, 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 or sharpen or, or add to? And also, we'd love to know, too, man, what's, what's next? So, yes. weeping will endure for a night that you are not going to be a president anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, but joy comes in the morning. <laughs> Talk to well, us. Well, first, I mean, thanks for that great word at the end. We're recording this the day before Easter. And I think about on Easter, you know, if it was me, if I had the power to raise myself from the dead yeah. after like Pilate had sent me for execution, mm -hmm. the first thing I'd do would come back and go, what now, What's Pilate? What's up? What's up? What you saying yeah. now? Right. Oh, you quiet now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he on hush now. <laughs> but he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Wow. He goes and he ministers to a few people. Wow. And then, you know, he ascends and the few people who are left, he doesn't even leave them really with a plan. Right. Mm. Right. 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 And they didn't know the Holy Spirit was coming on the day of the Pentecost. Sure. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't leave them with a plan even. And and then that's so contrary to our flesh. That's so contrary mm. to everything that we say about how we should we should we got, we got a five-point plan for winning the culture, right? That's right. <laughs> but Jesus, he goes, he doesn't leave them with a plan. He doesn't leave them with big numbers. He doesn't leave them with anything. Mm. And now the only way we know who Pilate even was was because of Jesus. Right. He's part of Jesus' story. Right, right. right. What's and, up, Jesus? And so that's, to me, that's a, such a faith-building thing mm. that, you know, stay faithful. And all of these things right now that are tearing up Twitter, they're a footnote to a footnote to a footnote of history, but Jesus will prevail. Amen. Um, Amen. But, man, thanks thanks for having me. Yes. Thanks oh, for having man, me. thank and, you. Yeah, this is great. This is great. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate you guys a ton. And uh, I don't have anything special coming up, really. <laughs> uh -huh. Just, just uh, check out my work on thedispatch.com and The Atlantic, and and I'll keep writing and tweeting. I love Absolutely. It, yes, well, thank please. You, we need please. You. Yes, we need you. Please. You also have uh, your book. Your recent book was Divide Up We Fall. Right. Uh -huh. So make sure yep. you all check that out. You have another book uh, that was The Rise of ISIS. Um, yep. uh, that's, a threat. That's, a long, that's a blast from the past. That's a blast from the past, <laughs> but hey, you got to read it because that's to right. know where you're going, you got to know where you're you been. You got to know where you've been. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and so, no, but Brother French, man, thank you so much. It was, yeah, it was an honor to have you on. What an honor. What we, we would love to have you back in the future. Yes. We're grateful that you would carve out time for us here at Southside Rabbi. Yes, indeed. Southside. I'm honored. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Amen. Yes. Well, yes. God bless you, brother. Just want to just shout out the CSB version of scripture. One of our favorite versions of the Bible. Readable, very, very accessible. Mm -hmm. A solid translation. Uh, that's the official translation of our, our church, actually. So they are a proud sponsor of our podcast, and mm -hmm. we are glad that it is that CSB way. CSB Activity. There's a website that you can go check out, CSB Activity. This, that's not the <laughs> website, but that sounded really, really dope. CSB Activity. Activity. <laughs> um, check Check out the website below um, to learn more about how you can get one of these in your hand. So Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians paying for one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. You'll be connected to Christians across the nation who care for one another spiritually and financially as a medical need arises. So you get to see the people that you are actually 
contributing to. You can pray for them. You can have them in your heart and your mind. It's a really encouraging ministry that my wife and I have used. In fact, we delivered our second baby using this ministry. It's affordable and you can join today. We are very, very grateful to have them as partners on our podcast. So check out SamaritanMinistries.org slash Southside Rabbi. This has been Southside Rabbi. I am KB. Amin the Dream. We out of here. We out. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we only know Pilate's name right. because of Jesus. That's true. That man would be forgotten right. as so dead true. as he is. That's so true. Yeah. It's crazy. I love when David also said that if my goal is not power but justice, then I can work with anybody right. because we can achieve the justice. Right, right, and right. And when he said that, I was like, that's so true. That That's what makes you say, oh, well, my God doesn't have to win. That's right, that's right, that's right. Like, yeah, that's I, right. I may want, I may want you know, a certain guy to win, but if he doesn't win, it's not the end of the world. It's yes. not like, oh, Hillary Clinton has become president. Biden is president. Oh, my gosh, we're, right, right, right. we're in peril. What are we to do? Right, 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 right. Like, it's like, no, if, if that only matters. I only freak out if my, if my desire is power. That's if I right. think that I need power in order to achieve justice. Justice. Right, 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 but right. If I don't need power in order to achieve justice, but I can work with anyone, yes, then it, like he said, for him, it changes everything. It does change everything, absolutely. If yeah, bro. Christian, it should not be power first. It should be justice, justice first. Justice first. That's right. Our biggest W's through history. That's so true. Have not been through through power. Power. Never. Even in the Bible. That's what I was trying to yes. say. Like the church did not, like you said, we did not have the influence that we had it throughout the, the church's story, throughout history christianity did not become the religion that the biggest this big huge religion that it is because we have power that's right now, people can say that they go oh, what about the inquisition what about that's not really how christianity that's spread. right and christianity and, spread the and, most and here we are of us being persecuted that's us right being outside of power that's right that's when it spread the most i mean even you think about the pilgrims coming to america and them wanting to separate the church and state why do you think they wanted to do that right because they had just left this oh that's right you know seventeen hundred years of, of being part of the church yes. and state and that junk was whooping it their behind good. right <laughs> well it didn't work and here good. we are trying to marry them again that's right like it's crazy I saw this one lady that was running that's a and good she, point she had right she had a, t a tour bus and on the side of her tour bus it was a picture of her with a bible and guns bro oh and I said dog this is this is like a, a skit on a on a on a sit on a show. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like head of state. It's like when you really pay attention to it, you're literally like, what do people want? What do the conservatives want? Well, what do the extremist right wing conservatives want? They want some. They want God and guns. So I'm gonna put myself on the side of a bus with a Bible and a gun in my hand, and I'm gonna just go around talking about how I'm gonna keep God and everything, and I love my guns, mm. and that's gonna get me votes. That sounds foolish. Insane.